Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I'm stepping out of our series, Victim or Victor, to discuss something I see done well by the women who impart life to us, whether physically giving birth to us or imparting life by their influence and impact upon our lives. What I wanna share with us this morning will be applicable for all of us, but we could easily relate it to the celebration of Mother's Day. Would you turn with me right now, if you will, to the book of Judges? We will begin in chapter six. As you have some time to grab your paper Bible and turn with me, we're gonna be looking at a passage that I think many of you will be familiar with. We're gonna start in Judges chapter six. But before we read our text this morning, And while you're turning there, I want to give you a little historical background on the context Israel had at this time. Israel has had leadership issues for generations up to this point. Moses has delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, but then had issues leading a faithless, disobedient people through the desert to the land God was going to give them. Joshua was Moses' apprentice who rose up as leader after Moses died. He would lead the people into that land promised. And the miracles of that period can be read in the book of Joshua and they're astounding. But upon Joshua's death, there wasn't just one leader that would lead for a long period of time as before. Instead, we enter a period for the Israelites where after disobedience and enslavement, the people would cry out for help. God would answer their cry by raising up a judge. Thus we have the book of Judges that we are given these stories of these 12 different judges they would lead the people back through a process of repentance and restoration until the next cycle of disobedience and apathy that would lead to another round of oppression. You see, the law of sowing and reaping, it has been embedded into the laws of our universe since the very beginning. Adam and Eve weren't able to disobey God without consequences that would follow. Paul puts it this way as he writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The principles from this law are founded in this phrase, God cannot be mocked. This stands true across all time and space, and history reflects through its stories how God will not even allow self-deceit. A man may think that he can earn a good return with little effort, but these are not the laws instilled in the economy of exchange that God has put into place. You see, we will reap based upon what we have sown. And for Israel, as well as for us, if you sow to your fleshly desires, you will reap a harvest of those same fleshly desires and all of its heartaches and troubles. But if we sow to the spiritual things in our life, to a life to please the Spirit of God, the results will be a harvest of eternal life. This is the life that Christ came to bring us, a life that is full and not empty, a restoration of the original design, restoring right relationship between man and God and giving us the ability to live to our potential and purpose in God. We have a choice, much much like the Israelites, of what we will reap, and it will be based on what we choose today to sow. We sow with our words, our time, our money, 
our thoughts. And when we sow these things to fleshly desires, we will end up in a similar oppression as the Israelites. For Israel, this period of time is considered Israel's dark ages. Some of these judges you will remember well, like Deborah, Samson, and today I want to talk about one of these judges in particular. Let's look at the life of Gideon. Judges chapter 6 starts out a lot like the other chapters that begin an explanation of their situation. Let's look first at verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. We aren't told the specifics of what evil Israel had committed. Based on later verses, though, we can assume that they were worshiping a false god. The prophetic messages in verses 8 through 10, they expound upon God being their one true God, and for Israel to not worship the gods of the Amorites, but they didn't listen. And as we see later in the story, Gideon destroys the altars made to Baal and Asherah, of which the Israelites had engaged in worship. Israel's sin, it prompts discipline from Yahweh, which creates the fundamental tension in this plot that will be resolved. This discipline is informed by the covenantal curses found in the Torah that we see in Deuteronomy, which are built upon this ageless principle of sowing and reaping. Listen to Proverbs 3, verse 12. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. Solomon explains how wisdom is gained and discipline is a vital part of that process. We learn that discipline is done out of a place of love, care, and concern. Punishment is quite the opposite though, isn't it? Punishment has more to do with behavior modification for a sense of order and control, while discipline has more to do with the one being disciplined and less to do with the one administering it. Discipline is not reactive, but instead takes time to use that moment as a means to teach. I mean, literally, we remember that the root of discipline is disciple, to teach or to train. This is something that my mom and dad did well, and, and I see how we are using moments of consequences to be teachable moments with our own kids. The why is so critical because it isn't about behavior modification as much as it is about heart transformation. That's what the Lord is after with us, isn't it? You know, this weekend I was reading a book by Brene Brown titled Dare to Lead. It has been so timely for me as it talks about what vulnerability is for a leader and how to develop and create space for trust to form within your teams. As I saw and I sat there reflecting on some of these things that I was reading, the Lord and I began to just dialogue. He took me back to something that he has been speaking to me about throughout this entire quarantine. You see, I tend to be one that finds too much of my identity in my performance, what I can accomplish and get done. I like to feel efficient. I had a great day today. And that brings me this sense of value and purpose that honestly can get out of whack and really be unhealthy. But I sat there and I reflected in conversation with the Lord and I heard him tell me this, it is not about perfection, but process. Let me say that again. It is not about perfection, but process. And I tend to be one that wants to always be improving, working towards a better version of everything in every way. The problem is that I begin to set standards for myself and relate to performance in a way that the Lord never intended. 
he reminded me that he isn't looking for perfection as much as simply being in the process with him. He isn't looking for me to always get it right, but instead he gives me space to learn and to grow from the journey, from my mess ups, my screw ups, the bumps and bruises that come along the way. For someone like myself, that brings me such freedom. It actually motivates me towards a healthier relationship with God, which in turn affects the relationships I have. It affects the way I relate to my wife and kids. It also affects the way that I relate to my staff at Kiko and those here at the church. Even discipline, the scripture says, is a tool in the belt of love. Let me read a longer passage about this same scripture from the author of Hebrews. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse five. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as father, addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Verse six, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what child does a father not discipline? And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while, Verse 10 says, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I think back and there are moments that we experience discipline for things that we have done where the laws of sowing and reaping are in full effect. There are also circumstances that we find ourselves in that are simply hardships, but we suffer going through them, not necessarily because of anything that we have done, but God's word tells us that he will use both of these as redemptive acts in our life. This is really difficult to understand when not in relationship with the Lord. This is why I don't expect those that are far from the Lord to understand that he causes it to rain on both the just and the unjust. I don't expect those not walking close to Christ to have peace and hope during times of uncertainty and hardships and loss. This is what relationship with our Father in heaven brings about within us. And as we walk with him, get closer to him, we see his affirmation for us as his children through everything that we go through, the celebrations as well as the difficulties. And so Israel, like often can, finds themselves at a crossroads of how they will respond to the Lord's discipline. They are being punished because of their disobedience. And the laws of sowing and reaping are in full effect for Israel right now. And the Lord finds Gideon during this time and calls him to be the leader that Israel needs in this hour. Let's look back at Judges chapter six, starting in verse 11 this time. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orpha, that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, I guess is how you say that, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, and listen to this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. How many of you know people 
that sees something in you that you just don't see. I think moms are like this, but we also have leaders and friends that see things in us that we can sometimes be blind to. The angel of the Lord, and it's a strong reference often in scripture to an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, finds Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Gideon is busy threshing his wheat, a task that usually involved running heavy implements over the harvested stalks, throwing the material into the air on exposed heights to take advantage of those passing winds, hoping that they would blow away the chaff. And he's sifting the grain. In order to remain safely hidden from the Midianites though, Gideon is forced to perform this task in a less than ideal fashion within a wine press, a depressed and therefore less detectable, but also windless area where grapes would be trodden underfoot. He is attempting to keep what crops haven't been ruined by the Midianites safe from destruction. He's using ingenuity and being creative, but also careful. And the angel then turns to Gideon in the midst of dealing with destruction and insecurity to say this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Someone needs to hear the voice of the Lord say this right now to them. You may not feel like this is true. You may even feel quite the opposite, but he is saying to us, I am with you, mighty warrior. I'm with you and you are going to be all right. You are not only just going to get through this, but you are going to rise to the challenge before you as a mighty warrior. How many of you like me need to hear this right now from God? I know I do. The angel's words seem to be out of line with the timid actions of Gideon. And Gideon himself is challenging their validity. Actually, the promise of the Lord's presence was intended to encourage Gideon, just as the same assurance led Moses to take the Israelites out of Egypt. The Lord is with you a phrase that is in fact the the beginning of the meaning of the name Yahweh. Revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter three. And if God is with us, who can resist us? Gideon was called a mighty warrior, perhaps in anticipation of his remarkable bravery. And when others often see in us, even moms see in us, that we can't see for ourselves, the Lord wants to call it out of us right now. He wants to call out of us that leader inside, that innovator, that entrepreneur. He wants to call out of us as we looked at last week, not only our lack, but out of our supply. God has put something within each one of us. He has deposited it there. And you have inside of you what it takes to be a follower of Christ, a child of God that lives this life to the full potential that he has for you. Look at Judges chapter six, verse 13. It says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us, he says, when all, where are all his wonders that our ancestor told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And Gideon replied, excuse me, if God really is with us, then why has all this happened? You ever been in a place that caused you to ask similar questions? Has this global crisis led you to a response similar to Gideon's? Gideon has not connected the sin and waywardness and disobedience with Israel's current situation. He has not looked at the things happening with eyes looking through the aspects of reaping and sowing. 
These are laws that are in full effect even now in our world. And in verse 14, we see the Lord's response. Judges 6, 14 says this, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? God doesn't answer his questions. He doesn't even seem to entertain the thoughts that are swirling around inside Gideon's head. Instead, the Lord shifts Gideon's gaze to what he does have, his supply. He says this, go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? The Lord reminds Gideon again that he is with him. The great I am. I am spending more time today on the process that led to Gideon's final stepping out to lead, to move towards the, the things that God was leading him towards than I am on any other part of this story. Because it is often at this moment that we can't get past those first few steps towards what God has called us to do that we get stuck. We talk ourselves and God out of being able to do anything through us. I'll never see that happen for me or let alone through me. The story continues though, that Gideon asked to present a fleece before the Lord to see if what God was telling him was actually true. A fleece is, is not the jacket that you wear to stay warm and cozy. You see, this type of fleece was a challenge that you present before God to see if what is being said is indeed true. Gideon couldn't take God at his word. He's asking him to prove it. God allows him to perform this fleece a couple of times and even a couple of other challenges that he would present to him. And let's look in Judges chapter seven, where the Lord takes the men Gideon has rallied down to a menial size. Let's look at Judges chapter seven, verses two and three. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And in verse three, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. The story continues as the Lord dwindles the size of Gideon's army all the way down to 300 men. But Gideon still needed a little more encouragement to trust that the Lord would do what he said he would do. Isn't it interesting that the beginning of their dialogue, Gideon is asking, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But here, Gideon is having difficulty believing that those wonders will even happen, especially through his hands or leadership. And so in Judges chapter seven, we see this in verse nine. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying because afterwards you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. So Gideon heads down to hear this in verses 13 and 14. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Well, the rest is history. Quick side note, when Gideon gathered his army, he had 32,000. 
and they were outnumbered by the Midianites roughly one to four. The Lord wanted to ensure that Gideon and all the Israelites knew that this was indeed God who was delivering them from their enemies. He wanted all the credit and no man could steal any glory from this miraculous defeat. And so Gideon gathers, he gathers this 300 men assembled and they begin to follow Gideon's lead. Look at Judges 7, verse, verses 17. Watch me, he tells them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Notice how he is growing in his confidence in the Lord and his own abilities to be used by God. Did it take all the fleeces and dreams and confirmations? Maybe. In Judges 7, we see this, that when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord calls the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Moholah near Tabath. And when you begin to step out into, the, into what God has called you to and where He is leading you, watch how the enemy is already filled with fear. The Lord has already spoken defeat over our enemy. He doesn't win. He won't win. And so we are called to live from a place of victory, operating in the potential that God said was in us all along. Use what you have, seeing our supply and not our lack. You are a mighty woman and man of God. Go in the strength that you have. God will be with you. Is He not sending you? Victory is the Lord's. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for those joining us right now. Would you encourage their faith? Would you use the things that are going on in their life to bring them back to a place of just complete and utter dependence upon you right now? We don't wanna miss the opportunities before us to learn the lessons that you're teaching us during this global crisis. We don't wanna pass by this time over these next few weeks wishing we had made more of the opportunity before us, changes that you are trying to do inside of us. So help us to lean into you, God. Help us to see things the way you do. Help us to make ourselves available to use what you have given us. And we bless our mamas today with an extra double portion blessing. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us. Amen and amen.